Welcome and thank you for being part of Becker's Healthcare Health IT and Revenue Cycle Management Virtual Event. My name is Molly Gamble, Vice President Editorial for Becker's Healthcare and Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review. Today I'm excited to sit down with Liz Popwell, Chief Strategy Officer for Ascension Michigan, to discuss the impact COVID-19 has had on virtual technology adoption. So Liz, welcome. Thank you be for being here with me today and for joining us for this important discussion. Thank you, Molly. I'm very excited to be here. I appreciate it. Great. Before we start talking about this topic and virtual technology adoption, Liz, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and also about Ascension Michigan? Sure. Um, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer with Ascension Michigan. Ascension is um, one of the largest non-for-profit Catholic healthcare organizations in the U.S. and we have uh, hundreds of hospitals across the U.S. In Michigan, we have uh, 17 hospitals and a variety of physician clinics as well as other uh, ambulatory care sites. So we span um, most of the, um, what you call the uh, lower peninsula and not the upper peninsula of Michigan. And Liz, I thought we could start today by doing basically a comparison. So describing to me what the state of affairs was like at Ascension Michigan in January, February, um, just so we have a point of comparison as we pursue this conversation today. Right, so Molly, as you know, uh, Michigan was really one of the, one of the first states to be um, exposed to COVID in a rapid way. Um, that pandemic started to hit us uh, January, February. Uh, March is really when we started to become very concerned about the growth rates uh, with the number of patients we were seeing. So um, it, it moved up very quickly, very quick curve, and um, took a while to level off for us. But through the governor's actions and through all of the, the different actions that we've taken as a healthcare industry, uh, we were able to um, act quickly on that. And then what kind of demand as the surge did increase and become more noticeable with the cancellation of elective care or surgeries and then also patients perhaps feeling anxious about pursuing physical care face-to-face? -face. Can you talk a bit about the changes you saw on your end? Sure, so we saw a lot of different things in Michigan, um, a lot of collaboration um, amongst many healthcare providers. Um, Basically, a lot of our uh, acute care facilities turned into large intensive care units. So a lot of the lower level acuity patients uh, we cared for in different ways. Uh, we saw, as you know, a decrease in elective procedures. We stopped having elective um, cases. We stopped having cancer screenings and all of those elective procedures. Uh, but what we did do is we ramped up what we call our virtual platform and our virtual provider office functions and we're able to provide patients care in alternative ways. And so we were very fortunate as uh, part of Ascension that we already had a national platform. It already was in place and it was working very well. And so uh, we never expected the types of demand and utilization that we saw, but fortunately for us, we had a platform that allowed us to care for patients. So for example, I will tell you, um, we have what we call urgent care visits. We also have what we call virtual provider office visits. So that's where you can speak to your provider virtually. Uh, we started out with 50 urgent care visits a day. And during the pandemic, we went up to 500 urgent care visits per day on average during the height of the pandemic. Um, virtual provider office, again, that's where we have virtual connections with our doctors and can talk to our specific primary care doctors or specialist. 
Uh, our average was about 10 a day, and we, we shot up to around 17,000 a day. So as you can imagine, um, patients still uh, were very open to the alternative way that we were able, able to provide care. And um, again, we were very fortunate. We had those specific platforms in place. Did the rates of those increases, Liz, surprise you? They did. Um, you know, it, when you look at the predictive modeling and you look at all the different um, data and information that was out there, you know, there was no way for any of us to predict what was going to happen. We just knew it was going to rise and, and level off. We knew it was going to rise fast. Um, we didn't know when or how to predict the level off. Um, so we had a really nice process, um, both through Ascension and through Ascension Michigan, where we had uh, daily calls. We had our, our national um, command center set up where we were sharing information back and forth. Um, we were very fortunate, again, being part of a larger system, we were able to share resources. So ventilators, for example, um, as we had needs for ventilators in our state, other states uh, that Ascension are in did not have as much of a need at that point in time. And now what we're finding is Texas and Florida, for example, are two of our sister um, organizations and states that are now starting to see more COVID patients. So we're able to move resources around. Um, we had nurses come from out of state to come help care for our patients. Um, I think we had very proactive regulatory changes in the state in order to allow for the flexibility we needed. Um, CON laws uh, relaxed a little bit, that sort of thing, so that we could really provide the care that we needed. And, um, you know, it was a day-by-day -day process where we were just constantly assessing, reviewing, and um, waiting and hoping and praying for, you know, that leveling off period. And, and now we're, we're, you know, continuing to watch that and wondering, you know, how that's going to continue to change over the coming months. Can you share the numbers again for the, the specialist appointments, how those increased from what they were to what they became with the, the, the surge? Sure, so the, the virtual provider numbers, those are both primary care as well as specialists. There may be specialists in there as well. Uh, we had 10 uh, virtual provider office visits a day on average before the pandemic, and that shot up in the height of the pandemic to close to 17,000. And that's just for the state of Michigan. Um, I can tell you also for, for us nationally, we had a hundred fold increase as well. So March through May of this year, we saw 720,000 total virtual care visits. So that includes both the urgent care that we talked about, as well as the virtual provider office visits. Um, and when you compare those numbers to what we saw nationally last year, it was 7,000. So again, um, systems that had those platforms in place were very fortunate to be able to care for patients in new and different ways. Just a staggering increase in difference there in numbers. And you mentioned it includes primary care and specialists, but I'm curious if we could dr dr drill down a little bit deeper in the specialist uh, area and if any specialties in particular saw a great demand. Yeah, I can tell you, I, I don't have those numbers in front of me today, Molly, but I can tell you, at least in Michigan, uh, we have uh, behavioral health and we have uh, neurology um, are two of our um, premier service lines. And those particular service lines had already virtual care um, patterns and platforms in place as well. And we did see an uptick, uptick for example, in those, both from um, hospital to hospital, so where we're doing virtual consults. Uh, from one hospital to another, maybe an um, academic medical center, academic um, tertiary center, excuse me, to a small rural hospital. 
um, as well as our behavioral health patients where, you know, when those uh, offices closed and uh, we couldn't see patients routinely, we did try to improve access to patients through that virtual care platform. So behavior health was, was one that stands out to you and you're still learning more and, and learning from that data, of course. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious, Liz, this is a great example, I think, of one of many assumptions that have really been challenged about healthcare that we, prior to February, whenever, when things started to really pick up with the COVID virus and its transmission, when you look back at how people previously saw virtual care or treated it or when it came down to their preferences of when they would utilize it. I'm curious what assumptions or even stigmas about virtual care this episode has really challenged or defied from your perspective. That's a great question. I think, um, you know, going into this particular um, model of care that we had to implement, we, uh, you know, but prior to the COVID pandemic, a lot of individuals were skeptical about who would adopt the adoption rates. As you heard from our numbers, the adoption rates were lower. Um, a lot of, um, I wouldn't say stigma, I would say more stereotypes, probably stereotypes around the young were probably more um, apt to use virtual care and virtual provider office functions as opposed to, um, you know, middle age or, or more elderly patients. And one of the things that we learned is that all ages uh, were adaptable and open to using the, the, the care model that we provided virtually. And we're very comfortable with that. And I think as safety became a very big concern and still is a very big concern for all of us, um, we continue to see use of those virtual platforms, even though um, the peak, if you will, the first peak, if you will, um, has leveled off and dropped down we continue to see higher adoption rates than what we had seen uh, previous to the COVID pandemic. So I think it just changed our mindset. And I think um, we believe at Ascension that um, forever our care models have been changed. We believe that our mindsets have forever been changed. And we believe that this is gonna be the new paradigm for us. And virtual technology and the adoption that we went through will continue to have um, even more advances in the coming months and years. Well, that's great. So it makes sense, right? It's the stereotype that youth and they're tech savvy, they'll be more likely to use virtual care, but a resounding lesson here that regardless of age group or demographic, people will, will pursue it if it's made available to them and they have the means to do so. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned you're still seeing increased demand for these appointments, which makes great sense. Um, but I'm curious about when you look at the strategic plan, for this offering and this ability throughout the rest of the calendar year up through 2021. What questions remain for you? We already talked about how you're still awaiting a closer analysis of which specialties are seeing the greatest demand. There's still a lot to figure out, I imagine, as you had to put together a lot in a short amount of time. But what are some of the big unanswered questions you're staring down as we head into the second half of the year? Great question. So one of the things that we're doing in Michigan is a project that we call Catalyst. And uh, that project is really around rethinking our strategic plans. Um, nationally, we have uh, re rethought, if you will, our direction for our strategy and our what we call reemergence. Um, and what we're looking at in Michigan is how can we reimagine care for the future? How do we need to reframe the care provision that we provide? And what does that mean for our strategy? And so we have several teams actively working right now on thinking about what does this technology adoption as well as the new behaviors that we're seeing 
Uh, consumers have different behaviors now. Physicians, payers, employers will continue to have different behaviors. And so knowing that and knowing that our paradigm has shifted, how do we need to shift our strategies to go along with that? And so um, I'm very excited about the work. We have a lot of wonderful thought leaders working on um, just rethinking how we use our space and where we provide care and how should we provide care. And um, I, I think it's been um, very enlightening for a lot of individuals because it's really challenged us to think differently. Um, thinking about seamless care is one thing, but thinking about contactless or low contact care, that's a completely different thought process. And so that's really driven different um, apps, different um, access points, different ways that we connect with our patients and um, really challenged us to think differently. And so very excited about the work, very excited that um, it will bring new thinking to our organization. And so we're in the development of that now and in the next you know, 30, 60 days, hopefully we will come to some final conclusions on that. But access is no longer about bricks and mortar. And so now we need to think differently. And we also need to think differently about our workforce. You know, a lot of our workforce is still working remotely and working from home. And so we're actively looking at what does that mean for how we, um, how we provide technology as well as resources, the tools and equipment, if you will, that our, our, our associates need in order to do their jobs. And so it really has changed our thinking and, and we know the future will be different. And um, we've got a lot of great folks working on that. And um, I, I look forward to continuing to watch the evolution. So you hit on some big, big action items that your, you know, your organization is working toward, including contactless care or low, you know, care that requires less contact, reconfiguring space, thinking about how to best support employees who are still working remotely. What about, have you, have you put any effort or intent in, into how physicians and care teams right now are developing what I've seen called a website manner? where it's kind of how they interact with patients and maintain those relationships or develop them over virtual means. Have there been any conversations about that at Ascension Michigan? There, there have. We have um, several different um, apps and other platforms that we've been using to stay in contact with patients, especially those that are uh, chronic and have higher needs. We've also been looking at how do we provide care at home and what are some of the care models and technologies that we can put in place to provide care at home for patients. And so uh, providers have been front and center for us. In, in Michigan especially, we are very um, physician-led, physician-driven, and professionally managed. And we work very hard to make sure our caregivers and our, especially our physicians are at the table to help guide and, and direct those conversations. So a lot of great discussion with our uh, providers as well as our leadership and really looking at working with our design studios. We have um, several design studios nationally that help take our use cases, take um, some of the input back from the ministry markets and really build that into the technologies and the new solutions of the future. So a lot of great dialogue with those teams as well. That's great. You know, Liz, you mentioned you were part of one of the many states and organizations that saw not the second wave necessarily, there's some dialogue that we're still very much in the first, but you were early on and you saw the initial surge um, in the early spring months. And you now sit at a vantage point where I'm sure you're very guard should a resurgence occur again uh, and you'll be ready for it. But at the same time, you left that, you left March, April, May with a lot of lessons that organizations elsewhere in the country may not have experienced firsthand. 
I'm curious if there are any specific considerations you would really urge your colleagues to keep in mind when it comes to strategizing virtual technology and care moving forward. I think the biggest lesson learned um, just from my lens and, and from the lens of our, our colleagues here in Michigan is that um, every day, you know, you have new problems, new issues to solve. If you're, if you're in the middle of a, a spike, if you will, if you're in the middle of an uptick and um, don't let perfect get in the way. Sometimes, and, you know, make the best decision you have in the timeframe you have. Um, we, learned very quickly that um, effectiveness and efficiency in decision making is, is vital and um, being able to think ahead and, and plan for all the contingencies is really important. So we did a lot of scenario planning. Uh, we planned for scenarios that didn't occur and I'm glad they didn't occur, um, but I'm glad we did that planning. And what we are finding is that in this phase, I wouldn't call it a recovery phase by any means, but in the phase that we're in now, we're continuing that scenario planning and we're continuing to try to learn and glean from the lessons and actually have done formal you know, debriefs and reviews of what went well, what didn't go well, what could we have learned differently? And so constantly looking at the lessons learned uh, for yourselves and constantly looking at how you make decisions um, you know, in the firefighting mode and as you emerge from that are very important for how to plan for the next steps as, as hopefully we won't have to um, but we, you know, to be prepared, we have to think about all these things. And of that scenario planning, Liz, you mentioned that you prepared for several scenarios. You're very grateful several of them. You didn't have to, um, you didn't run into them or they didn't unfold. Is there one or two that stands out to you as being especially helpful for your team in terms of even if they, they might not experience this scenario, but even if we do, we have a plan in place. I'm curious if mentally or with their confidence or just even with how assured they felt, if there were a couple scenarios that really made a difference to them. So the, the one scenario that we really worked on and, and we worked on it with other health systems, you know, Trinity Health System and the governor's office, we worked on uh, field hospitals here in Michigan. And we really didn't use the field hospitals much. Um, I was involved in, in helping with one of those and a colleague from Henry Ford was involved in, in another one. And we built with the Army Corps of Engineers, um, large field hospitals ready to go for large numbers of patients. Fortunately for us, we didn't need to use them. And so we're continuing some of that scenario planning. We, we had very few patients go to those field hospitals and that's a good thing. Uh, but those exercises taught us a lot about emergency care. It taught us a lot about how to build something in a very short period of time and um, how to really think about the care that these patients need. And um, it's a very, very special respiratory issues that need to be cared for and considered. And um, so all those lessons in, in the caregiving process are still there. And we're continuing to share those um, with other states and with other leaders as, as they continue to struggle through this pandemic. Well, Liz, I want to thank you for sharing all of these insights with us today and your wisdom. Um, Ascension Michigan, it sounds like, has really seen increased demand for virtual care. You're still seeing that and you're planning ahead to what, what that means for the remainder of your, not only 2020, but 2021. Mm -hmm. So on behalf of Becker's List, thank you for joining this event and speaking with me today. And to our attendees, thank you for listening in and we hope you found this conversation as insightful as I did. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Molly, we appreciate it.